come before your word this morning. We ask that your Holy Spirit might do a great work in our hearts, that the same spirit that inspired these words would be active and alive at applying these truths to our hearts this morning. Lord, we are wholly dependent upon you to do this great work. And so we confess our need for your spirit to be alive and active in this process. So Lord, give us open ears and open eyes. Soften our hearts so that our lives might be transformed by your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Matt. So... We left off last week by Peter telling us that there are two sources of knowledge about God. The eyewitness accounts from the apostles, which we have summarized in the New Testament, and the prophecies of the Old Testament and the entire Old Testament. And so that is where he naturally picks up this morning. And he he carries on, just as there were false teachers and false prophets in the Old Testament, there will also continue to be false teachers and false prophets in the church today. And so that's where he picks up at First Peter, uh, Second Peter, chapter two, verses one to three. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many, many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The word of the Lord. I remember the young woman well. She was an active part of our church. I believe she was even a candidate at Deacon uh, at one point. She served diligently in several areas of our congregation in AV and hospitality. Um, She was on the welcome team. She hosted a, a, a weekly small group for young adults in her home. She was a reliable and steady part of our church family. And then something happened. She became irregular on on Sundays. And then she began to complain about different things within the church. The kinds of complaints that were more a matter of perspective than facts. And then she began to question some serious biblical doctrines. She began to view myself and the rest of the elders with contempt. Apparently, she began to speak poorly about us to others and found a listening ear. And then she just stopped coming. She ghosted and canceled a group of concerned brothers and sisters, and even her own family had lost contact. After much concern and detective work, we found out she had long since begun to attend weekly meetings at a Christian cult downtown. This cold is called Chinchoji, and it's very popular today, uh, even now. It's a Korean cult that's become very popular with young internationals. And the cult is very active in street evangelism downtown on the Zile, and they go in pairs, and they invite people to a weekly Bible study. And this turns into a three-hour daily Bible study accompanied by a full weekend of mandatory events. She had moved out of her apartment, moved into a Wohngemeinschaft over an hour commute to her work. 
after several conversations and years of prayer and even a few meetings just as recent as last summer, where we urged her with tears to come back, but she is now fully involved and has completely left the faith. A once vibrant Christian now finds herself worshiping an 80-year-old Korean man living in Seoul who claims to be the bread of life. This was and is a very sad but tragically true story. I know several within our congregation, myself included, who continue to regularly pray for her. False teaching is and will always be a threat to the local church and to the family of God. Occasionally, I'll hear from some that they believe maybe I'm too hard and overly critical of much of popular Christian teaching. Or people will wonder, why do I take this teaching or that teaching so seriously? Well, I'll tell you, over the last 14 years, I've served as pastor here at ICF. I've seen and experienced the great harm that false teaching has brought into the lives of individuals within our congregation. I've seen skewed versions of Christianity destroy marriages, ruin lives, hurt children, even bringing some to take their own life. And so, yes, I do take false teaching seriously, but rightly so, because we are instructed to do so by our Lord. In Mark 13, 22, Jesus says, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you these things beforehand. So we've been warned. In Matthew 24, he says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, the elect. The same thing. Jesus warned us that this would be a reality. And so from the very few first days of the church until now, false teaching has and will always accompany the true preaching of the gospel. And the problem that most false teaching is that it's deceptive and subtle. Paul warns the Corinthian church exactly how subtle false teachings can be when he writes false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ or messengers of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So there is an inherent deception and disguise which accompanies false teaching and false teachers. For we are warned that Satan himself is described in scripture as beautiful and outwardly very appealing. We tend to think of Satan as some gross uh, demon with appalling horns and a goatee, and, and scripture describes him, however, as, as one of God's most beautiful creatures. Adam and Eve were, were led astray and deceived by the false teaching of Satan. And we are told that he is still alive and at work misleading and deceiving many today with a deception so strong and so powerful that only the Holy Spirit working through the truth of the gospel can break through the deceitful sheen's um, blindness. So this is why false teaching is so prevalent alongside true Christianity because Satan will be right there to twist the truth and make it appeal to human reason and fleshly desires. 
Jesus said there will be false teachers, and Paul says there will be wolves dressed like sheep, and Peter says there will arise false teachers among you. And so this is a certainty. He, Satan has a false gospel. He has a, a gospel that is preached by false ministers, and he is producing false Christians. And Jesus warned us that wherever Satan uh, will plant his counterfeits, wherever God has planted true believers. And so false teachers are always deceptive in the fact that 90%, 80% of what they say looks and smells and tastes like real Christianity. This is how Satan can parade around, as Paul says, uh, undetected in Christian communities. And so, yes, we are to be on guard, vigilant and aware and cautious about what we're consuming and careful about the truths we believe in our minds and the hopes that we've set our hearts on. False teaching is and will always be a threat to the local church and to the faithful. We just need only to look at recent headlines over the past years and see how many faithful teachers have proven themselves to be wolves in sheep's clothing. The most recent came just this last December as Mike Bickle steps down from the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. So how can we be discerning? How can we be on guard and, and keep watch over what is true, what is right, what is faithful teaching? Who should we trust and who can we trust, really? Well, thanks be to God, we're not left on our own. We're not without divine instruction and revealed wisdom because, of course, the Lord has given us his word. And his word, we find the essential tools of discernment with which we can guard our doctrines and check our teachers. And that's why it's so good that we are learning how to read the Bible properly this year in our men's and women's ministries so that you can be equipped to read the Bible for yourself that you can check even my words. If what I say deviates from scripture, if my life deviates from scripture, then challenge me, dismiss it. The New Testament is filled with instructions on how to discern right teaching from false teaching. Take for example, Paul's instruction to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 where he gives four tests. Four tests that you can tell if you're listening to a false teacher. He writes, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrines conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy and strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So here he says there's a doctrine test. If they advocate a different doctrine, do the doctrines align with what the church has always believed in every place, at every generation, as we have recorded in scripture and the creeds and confessions? There's the fruit test, that it does not agree with the doctrines confirming to godliness. Does the teaching promote holiness and godliness in the lives of the the hearers and the teacher? Or does it promote immorality and, and a pursuing of the desires of the flesh? There's the unity test. This morbid interest or, or, or almost obsession on secondary matters. Does the teaching obsess about secondary or third-tier convictions making secondary things primary 
And in so doing, causing division, strife, evil suspicions, mistrust, and friction. There's the charlatan test. I like, you see this one is the most obvious, right? Where godliness is seen as a means of gain. Finally, does the teacher use their platform for personal gain? Paul gives Timothy these four tests so that we can be prepared if false teaching should arise. We're not on our own in a sea of knowledge to figure out what is right and what is wrong. In 1 Timothy, 2 Peter, and many other places in the New Testament, we find tests and which, which we can use to discern false teaching from right teaching. And in our passage this morning, just in those three verses, Paul will, uh, Peter will lie, lay out seven characteristics of these false teachers, which will be a test of sorts. So we can see from Peter's description of these false teachers that there are certain attributes that these teachers display, which are, are kind of giveaways. You know, a giveaway in poker, if they make a funny face. Not that I play poker, but from movies I've seen that. Um, yeah. Uh, specific characteristics by which we can discern these giveaways. Jesus said, you'll know a teacher by, by their fruit. And so as we look at these three verses, we'll see these seven characteristics. One, there's a, a sort of deception that's based on novelty of introducing something new to, to the faith. There's a different message, just a, a fundamentally different message. A destructive product, right? This is the fruit test. A popular following. Sensual lifestyle. Uh, dishonor the reputations of the church. Uh, and then finally, greed, exploitation uh, for personal gain. So we're going to look at these, uh, some in more detail, others very briefly. So don't worry. We must guard against calling. Uh, oh, yeah. But before we dive into this, two words of caution, okay? We can fall off the horse on, on two sides here. Uh, and so we have to you know, guard against calling everything we disagree with false teaching. I mean, especially here at ICF. I mean, come on. We're coming from so many different places that we need to be charitable and generous with secondary and third-tier third matters, right? There's great room in the Christian faith for fellowship and unity among believers who disagree about secondary and tertiary or, or third-tier matters, right? That's, that's why we want to focus on the gospel here. That's why we make that such a priority because that is true for all of the Christian faith. And at ICF, we have to be generous and charitable in these matters. We must never make the error of considering secondary matters of primary importance or we'll fall into that side of having a morbid interest or obsession, as Paul calls it, with secondary matters. But on the other hand, we can't fall on the side uh, of carelessly and foolishly accepting all things uncritically. So there, there, there is this two sides that we can make error when we talk about false teaching. There are many false teachers who claim to fall under the umbrella of Christianity but are, are secretly wolves and demonic. And so the caution is that we have to have a balanced view, not making the standard so narrow that we exclude other genuine believers and other faithful brothers and sisters. But we can't make the standard so broad that we just naively welcome and consume heresy uh, without any critical uh, thinking. And so this takes great discernment and wisdom, and that's one reason God has given you godly shepherds and elders, which are blessed. You are blessed with. Uh, Glenn, back there, you want to just let everybody know who you are? Glenn, it's one of our elders. Danny, here, 
second elder. You can stand, let, let people see. Yeah, he's the humble one. <laughs> and so, so these guys and myself, we're here. We're, our main job description is to watch the doctrine of the church, to guard the sheep, to protect you from false wolves. So you can always ask us about these things. But the caution, yeah, so we, we want to keep the standard reasonable. Um, and we don't want to fall off the edge of calling everything that we disagree with false teaching. So beware of that. Um, we have to have a clear view of what's primary, what's secondary, and what's just wrong. <laughs> so with that in mind, let's begin by studying the first trait of the false teachers in verse 1. They deceptively introduce novelty. So look at verse 1. But false teachers also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So that's what we've just covered. <laughs> now, what will they do? They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So, yeah. Okay, here, I review what we just said. So, yeah, if you go... Yeah, here, okay, sorry. Here we have one of those nice contrasts in chapter one and chapter two. So they're secretly bringing in destructive heresies. If you go back just a few verses in chapter one, Peter says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. So, so we were, the apostles were telling you truths that they witnessed with their own eyes. Now contrast this with the false teachers. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. If you f go down to chapter three, verse three, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false, or the NIV has even better uh, translated, fabricated stories and words. So the false teachers are bringing in a new teaching that is not based on Old Testament prophecy or the apostles' eyewitness testimony, but rather with lies that they made up and teach as if they were divine truth. And one of the biggest signs of false teaching is when someone comes along and said, oh, we've been reading the Bible wrong for the last 2,000 years. I just discovered this. And this is what really means, and that then will change everything. So novelty such as that is very something we should be concerned of. Now, there are always new approaches and new angles and, and things that we can appreciate. But when somebody comes along with something that radically changes the message of something that for 2,000 years, or even the ethic of something that we've practiced for 2,000 years, that's a clear sign of a false teaching. Novelty uh, is a clear sign of false teaching. Recently, in New York, well, it was within the last 10 years recent. Uh, New York Times journalist Ross DeThought, DeThought, I can't say his name, but he's an evangelical Catholic, uh, and he did an amazing survey of contemporary American Christianity, and he documented all the kind of the mainline Christianity slide into progressive liberalism, and the seeker-sensitive megachurches that also slide into kind of a therapeutic, functional Christianity. And he concludes in this book about how contemporary American Christianity has essentially abandoned orthodoxy. And in his book, it's called Bad Religion, I'd highly recommend it, he makes a compelling case that heresies begin with attempts to resolve the inherent paradoxes of the Christian faith, right? Opting for either or where 
orthodoxy has always been able to hold the both and intention. So if you think about the divinity of Christ, he's, he's God and he's man. And we have to hold these, this paradox in tension. Or the Trinity, that God is one in three. That will blow your mind, but it's a paradox that we have to keep in tension. And heresies throughout history has tended to try to resolve this this, these paradoxes and mysteries by coming up with a cleaner, neater faith. And he writes that Christian heresies vary widely in their theological substance, but almost all of them have in common desire to resolve Christianity's contradictions. To untie its knotty paradoxes, to produce a cleaner and more coherent faith. As an easy example of this, one looks at the early heresies around the Trinity or the divine nature of Christ, as I mentioned, or the tension of faith and works and so on. So this is what we find happening in Peter's context, this tension between faith and works. The false teachers cannot resolve the paradox that we're saved by grace alone, yet at the same time, we're called to live a holy and godly life. So which one is it? Are we, called, are we saved by grace alone, or are we called to live a holy and godly life? And so as we'll see throughout the, the book of Second Peter, they denied the doctrine of the second coming of Christ, teaching something to the effect that when we die, we go to heaven, regardless of how we lived our lives, because if we're saved by grace, holiness was not required. So these teachers tried to resolve the paradox by introducing new teaching on the end times denying the second coming and a future judgment. While at the same time, elevating grace by faith, grace of salvation by grace alone and diminishing the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Be holy because I am holy. And so one real test we can have of false teaching is, is this novel teaching. Is there something new um, that, that changes fundamental doctrines? Or is it a, introducing a novel or new ethic, a, a new way of doing things that we haven't done for 2,000 years? Now, we can have beamers and, and everything like that, but fundamental ethic, ethical questions. So that's the first uh, uh, giveaway, uh, to be cautious of novelty. Not all novelty is bad, but just that is one thing. It's part of a package, right? Let's move to the second trait Peter describes here in verse one, a different message. So false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift discussion. So these destructive heresies or new teachings had the component of denying the master who bought them. Now, they won't always come out, and this, remember, it's deceptive. It don't, won't always be like, oh, deny Jesus, you know? Th that wouldn't be a Christian heresy, right? That, that would be so, something like a false religion or something else. So what does it mean to deny our master? Well, the NIV translates this to sovereign Lord, but the Greek word is really despotes, which we get the word despot, right? Which is not a word we would normally use for Jesus. <laughs> But the point Peter wants to make is that Jesus is our sovereign master, right? It carries the weight of Jesus having a commanding authority over our lives. And when you compare that to God, that's a good thing. But to humans, when they have this commanding authority, it's a bad thing. And his teaching is what Peter is meant to guard, this teaching that Christ handed over to the apostles. Jesus is the ultimate authority, and in a good sense, he is a despot, which originally meant just 100% sovereign. 
which for a human is wrong. Okay, I already said that. The, so the body of teaching, Jesus passed on to the apostles, and he instructed them to pass this on to others. And this deposit, what, the, what Jesus gave to the apostles, has to be protected and kept pure. That's the deposit that Paul tells Timothy that he was to guard and protect. And so these new teachings were undermining and denying what Jesus taught. And in this way, they were denying Jesus. So they denied the second coming and the final judgment, which Jesus taught several times throughout the Gospels. Here's just one passage where he teaches both of these at the same time. Uh, Matthew 16, for the Son of Man is going to come down again with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So in denying these core teachings, the false teachers were denying their master. They were teaching a different message. So for 2,000 years, the church has taught and has aligned about what is central to the faith, what doctrines are primary, and, and they have preserved this for us in creeds and confessions and councils of the early church, particularly those in the first 600 years. And probably one of the earliest creeds was the Apostles' Creed which we say occasionally here at ICF. And in fact, we're gonna sing, I Believe, which is a summary of the Apostles' Creed as our closing song today. And this creed beautifully lays out the core or primary teaching of the gospel. It's to these things that can help ICF stay aligned. And in this creed, we confess, the third day he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And so false teachers will preach a different message than what the church has always taught in every place, at every time, throughout every generation. They teach a different message, and in so doing, they deny Jesus as a source of truth and life. <clears throat> the third trait, going on in verse 1, he adds a, a, an adjective to the heresy. It's a destructive heresy. Right? False teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So two times in this verse, and then at the end, bringing upon themselves quick, swift destruction. <coughs> Excuse me. Two times here, Peter mentions the word destruction as a byproduct or a fruit of the teaching. Um, one, as an adjective describing the nature of the heresies, they, they are destructive in and of themselves, but also the result is that they will bring destruction upon their hearers and those teaching it. And this is another trait of false teaching. It's peddled and sold often as a quick fix or an easy solution. But at the end, it doesn't deliver on its promise. And later in this chapter, Peter describes the teaching as... These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. Waterless springs. They're full of hope. They're full of promises. But there is no hope and there is no promise. And when you notice a, a bit of mist, there's really a storm coming behind it. And so there is a destructive emptiness behind false teaching. It leads to discontent and frustration in this life, and it will ultimately lead to judgment in the life to come. I've seen false teaching do this in people's lives. It, it will breed discontent and unhappiness and frustration. These are not fruits of the Spirit. A classic example, one only needs to think of the destructive promise of healing for anyone, right? If only your faith is strong enough. If you don't have healing and success, then it's on something you're doing. 
Thank you, Phil. It's on something you're doing because God wants that for you. So the problem is with you. How many people's faith has been shipwrecked on account of this kind of teaching? False teaching leads to frustration, unhappiness, bitterness towards God and towards other believers. Those are not fruits of the Spirit. Another destructive aspect of false teaching is that it will destroy unity. When secondary or tertiary things are made primary, then unity around the gospel becomes uh, ruined, right? False teaching will bring about disunity, discord. It'll ruin harmony in ministry by focusing too much on secondary matters and elevating them to the primary. And this is why we all have to guard our own hearts, especially here at ICF, uh, about going down a road of false teaching, making sure we're not making too much of something that is really a secondary matter. And that's important for us here. In all of these seven traits, I I confess, I find myself tempted to go down some of these roads sometimes. And so really, we have to watch our own hearts. Uh, In order for ICF to work, we all have to give up something. (laughs) We all have to watch that we're not making things that are other than the gospel our passionate pursuit. Right? As Paul warns Timothy, they have a morbid interest or an obsession in things that would divide. So the fourth trait Peter highlights it comes in verse 2. And now we have to pick up speed a little bit. Um, and they will have a popular following, okay? And many will follow their sensuality. Many. And because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Many will follow their sensuality, many. And that's a sad fact. False teaching is popular, Uh, Jesus warned us about this. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many... Again, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How do we know Christ more? By knowing his word, right? Just because the teaching is popular does not mean that it's faithful to biblical teaching. Here is a photo of a church, the largest church in America, Lakewood Church, 35,000 believers every Sunday morning. And I can confidently say Pastor Joel Olstein is a false teacher. 90% of what he says sounds good, but he teaches a health and wealth gospel that is not the gospel. He promotes material wealth, physical health, financial, and career success as the main goal of Christianity, and every sermon has to do with one of those things. So it doesn't mean that if a teaching is popular that it's automatically false. You have to look at all this as a package thing. But the simple lesson here is that just because a teaching is popular does not automatically mean it's edifying and biblical. And that's why we want to focus on teaching you to read the Bible for yourselves. Reading the passage to gain the original author's meaning so that we can apply God's truth to our lives today. 
The fifth trait Peter mentions in our passage is in verse 2, a sensual lifestyle. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And this we'll touch on more uh, as we go through the rest of the letters. We, we focus more on why do we need to live a holy and godly life if we're saved by grace? But it's clear that the false teaching um, through, throughout is uh, not striving for, for holiness. They were teaching a type of Christianity that promised heaven regardless how you live your life here. And Jesus also warned us against false teachers. What did he say? You'll know them by their fruit. And here, Jesus means fruit by unrighteous living. And that's the danger of today's kind of celebrity culture. You don't know the men and women that we're listening to. We don't know how they live their lives. Um, That's why it's important to be part of a local church. You see my life. You know how Danny lives. Uh, You can look at Glenn's lifestyle. You can see how our marriages look, our relationships to our children look, how we spend our money, what kind of lifestyle we lead. Now, nowadays, it's easy for teachers to hide behind social media or outlet or on a screen, as we often find way too late how they were really living. So you'll know them by their fruits. The sixth trait Peter observes is also in verse two. What, what's the root, uh, fruit? It dishonors the reputation of the church. Look at the second part of verse two. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. We know every time there's one of these um, crazy things come out, how, how people condemn all of Christianity with those things. Uh, the masses of people that are leaving the faith because of the scandals in the Catholic Church. Um, or as we've seen, uh, such reputable names in the evangelical world as Mike Bickle, uh, Bill Hybels, and Ravi Zacharias recently just proved themselves. So those who follow Christ then are, are all put into that camp. With every new bombshell, the world finds another justification to deny the faith. So I don't need to spend much time on that because I think we all see that. So the seventh trait of these false teachers is a greedy pursuit of personal gain. So verse three, greed, exploitation for personal gain. Look at verse three. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words or fabricated stories. Any pastor worth his calling will not make financial gain a priority in their ministry. We think of well-known pastors who could make millions, yet only take a small income out of their books and speaking profits for themselves. Uh, John Piper, everybody knows him, lives on a very low income in a very small house in a very bad neighborhood of Minneapolis. And he dedicates his millions in, in his work to his ministry, Desiring God. O- over 40 years of ministry, he's kept his salary below $100,000, even though he's entitled to millions through his royalties. Tim Keller also did a similar uh, thing. On the other hand, we have pastors like Kenneth Copeland, who literally says the size of your private jet it directly corresponds to the size of your faith. <laughs> he said it. So any pastor using ministry as a means of personal gain is open to the charge of false teaching. Paul and Peter warn us against such teachers. So as we conclude, in summary, Peter has given us seven traits of these false teachers. We can see in the description how we can be equipped 
that we can be discerning, that we can be on guard, as Jesus said, be on guard. For the teachers and authors uh, of social media clips you listen to, the books you consume. So here, are deception based on novelty, a different message that really denies the teaching of Christ, a destructive product, popular following, sensual lifestyle, dishonor the reputation of the church, and greed, exploiting people for personal gain. I mean, so any one of these is really a problem, but really, you, you, they usually come in a package deal. And so I can't stress enough how dangerous false teaching is for your walk with the Lord. But the good news is <laughs> that Christ has not left us on our own in a sea of knowledge. So let me leave you today with a few ways we can be equipped and wise as we listen to Christian teachers. Know the word of God. Just consume the Bible. In private study, in community, the more fluent you are in scripture, the quicker you'll be able to spot a fake. Just keep 2 Peter 1 open and compare it to 2 Peter 2. And you have here in one chapter the guide toward what is right, and then the second a guide toward the kinds of things to avoid. Know the word of God and and learn how to read it. Ask your uh, pastor and elders. That's what we're here. Our main job description is to help you discern right doctrine from false doctrine. Danny, Glenn, and myself, we're always ready. We're approachable uh, to help guide you to teachers, steer you away from false teachers. And when we do warn you about a teaching, we do so carefully and thoughtfully. We're not just reactive. Okay, third, watch the fruit over time. If at all possible, watch the teacher uh, live their lives. Do they openly tolerate sin? Do they have a problem with anger, greed, lust? So watch the fruit of the teacher over time. Be cautious of fads or trends within Christianity. Since many will follow these teachers, the popular trends are not always your best guides. Uh, That's sometimes the biggest indicator, but like I said, not always. So just be be careful if there's this new trend or this new reading or this new teaching that's coming. Be a part of a community, right? Attend church on Sundays. Um, Attend a Bible study, a small group during the week. It's probably the best thing that you can do. Ask your small group or or other believers what they think about this teacher. Um, And finally, know why we believe what we believe. You know, be a student of church history. Become familiar with the early creeds of the church. Church history is marked by heresies. And guess what? There's nothing new under the sun, yeah? Modern heresies are just the old heresies with the new dress on. It's, it's really, be a student of history. So today, I would be remiss if I just left you with the things to do and the things to avoid, right? How does Jesus and his glorious gospel factor into all of this? Well, John teaches us in 1 John 4, 4, my dear children, you belong to God. So you've defeated them. And he's talking about false teachers. Because God's spirit who's in you is greater than the devil who's in the world. Jesus confronted Satan's false knowledge head on in the wilderness. And with each temptation and with each false teaching, Jesus confronted Satan with God's word. And Jesus' spirit is within you. And Jesus promised us in John 16 that his spirit will guide you into all truth. The greatest thing that we can do 
to avoid and be on guard against false teaching is to zealously pursue Christ in all things. If anything becomes more precious to you than Jesus, then you're going down a dangerous path. The lure of false teaching is to elevate your personal preferences and desires above the lordship of Christ. And Satan wants to make an easier version of Christianity, one that doesn't require you to deny yourself, to take up your cross, to follow Jesus, to follow a crucified savior. So pursue Christ and Christ will fill you with his Holy Spirit. What do we read in chapter one? As you know God more, the knowledge of God, through the knowledge of God, he will fill you with his divine power, giving you everything you need for anything you face. And that's a promise from the Lord. So if you don't know Jesus today, or if you've been following maybe a a, a wrong teaching, if you've never come to faith in Christ, you're not only following a, a false teacher, but you're following a false religion. And so I would encourage you and invite you to come back to Jesus this morning. Come back to his truth. Be filled with his Holy Spirit. That's an invitation for all of us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for your precious word that is so rich and so full of truth. Lord, your word is like a mirror to our hearts. Any one of us can go down these roads um, each and every day. We need your grace. And we thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit that is in us and leading us and guiding us to truth. We thank you for your church, the community of the faithful, the brothers and sisters around us who can correct us and encourage us and be a mirror for us to see our own sin but to also be a place of of comfort and reconciliation and forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for your word that you haven't left us alone, but you've given us a sure and true anchor on which we can build our faith. And so, Lord, we thank you uh, for this time. We pray that your spirit would do a mighty work in our hearts, that you would uh, give our congregation uh, wisdom and discernment in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.